your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 7 to 15. I'd like to read this for us this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, these are remarkable chapters. As Paul shares about his life and ministry and the work that you did through him as an apostle. And there are things that are unique to his calling and the privilege that he had to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And yet so many of these things are also true of us. That we too have this treasure in jars of clay. Father, help us to understand both what that treasure is and what that means for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. In April of this year, an Englishman by the name of Dave Crisp made the largest discovery of his life. Now, Dave Crisp is a treasure hunter. He loves to do this as a hobby. He goes out and he searches for buried treasure. And so one day, he was uh, in April, he was there near Somerset, England, and he was walking in a field in the British countryside, and he had one of those metal detectors and the, you know, the earphones on, and he's listening to that as he's going out there. And he came across in the middle of this field some coins. He bent down to take a look at what they were, and he noticed that these looked like they were Roman coins. And he began to dig a little bit, and he found not one or two, but he found 21 Roman coins. And then he took his shovel that he had with him, and he began to dig a little bit more below the surface of the ground. And about a foot down, he found a clay pot filled with Roman coins. And so he covered it up, you know, he put it back, and he contacted the British uh, antiquities authorities, you know, to come on out, and they were very, very grateful for that, because whenever there's a discovery like this, they like to see it in context and do kind of an archaeological dig and see what else was around there. And as they dug down and uncovered this fragile clay pot, inside were 52,000 Roman coins. Dating back to the uh, 3rd century A.D., they were all in that period when, uh, when Rome literally ruled England at that time. 
And here they were, buried in the ground. It was the largest single discovery of Roman coins in history. Now what we think of when we come to this text is that Paul tells us some things about that that are kind of significant. In Roman times, it was not unusual for people to store their treasure in common earthenware vessels, literally in clay pots. And they would do it for a couple reasons. One reason was uh, they would use those clay pots to kind of hide their treasures, and they would bury it in the ground. Or if it was in their home, you know, they might put a bag of coins at the bottom of an ordinary-looking clay jar and then kind of cover it up because they didn't want to call attention to it at all. It was for safekeeping or putting it away, an ordinary earthenware vessel. But other times, it was also interesting that they would use those clay pots, those earthenware vessels, to display their treasure. And where that was done most often was in the context of a Roman procession. Remember a couple chapters ago where Paul used that illustration of Christ who always leads us in triumph? And how he is like that conquering general that would be honored in a Roman parade? Well, when that happened, uh, there would be servants who would carry these earthen pots full of gold or silver coins from the nations that they had conquered. These treasures that would be displayed for all to see. And that may have been the image that Paul had in mind as he wrote this passage of Scripture. Because apparently God does the same thing. God uses ordinary human vessels clay pots like you and me to display his glory and his gospel to the world. Now that's an amazing thing. And it is by divine design. Why does he do it that way? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning as Paul gives us four reasons why God has chosen to do this. Number one, our weakness magnifies God's power. Our weakness magnifies God's power. Again, earthenware pots were common in the ancient world. They were cheap to make. You could buy them kind of on any street corner, in a sense, in the marketplace. Uh, You could get them, use them. They were used to store and transport things like water, uh, olive oil, grain, other household items. But they were also fragile. I mean, the average life of a clay pot might be four or five years. I mean, they could wear out and they could be broken. Uh, When people do the archaeological digs today, they find these shards, they call it ostraca, of clay pots that are just scattered throughout Israel or the Middle East in that part of the world. They are the remnants of these clay pots that were so common. Pastor Kent Hughes called them the throwaway containers of the ancient world. No one took much note of a clay pot any more than we would take note of a fast food uh, container. You know, whether it's the thing your burger comes in or the cup that your beverage comes in. I mean, you just use them. You don't think much about them, and that's kind of how they felt about clay pots. And Paul uses this metaphor of a clay pot to describe our frail human body. Kind of interesting, isn't it? And yet he tells us that when we know Christ, we carry within us a treasure of inestimable worth. How do you measure the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ? 
When we come to know Christ, He comes to live within us and inside of us is this treasure, this knowledge of God, this light of the Gospel and the light of Christ. The contrast between the two highlights the greatness of God's power. Our weakness, our frailty, the fact that we get weary or tired or struggle with things in our life only serves to accent God's power even more. If there's anything that happens, if there's any success at all, the glory goes to God. It also shows our lowliness and the gospel's great worth. I was thinking about this where last week I was comparing us to a nightlight, a two-watt light bulb, and now this week I'm saying we're like a fast food container. That, that's kind of humbling, isn't it? You know? But what it illustrates again is that we are expendable. God doesn't need to use us to carry on His work, and so on that one side we are expendable, yet we are also necessary. It's part of God's plan. I mean, have you ever, you know, tried to get a Coke without a container? It'd be pretty hard to do. I mean, it'd be pretty hard to get a Coke without a cup that holds it or a pop can or a bottle or something like that. They are absolutely necessary to distribute that. And yet they are expendable. And so here God has chosen to honor us this way. God has chosen to use weak human vessels to carry His most precious message to the world. You know, even the rabbis before the time of Christ made an observation on this that I thought was really interesting. They were making an observation on the Torah, those first five books of the Old Testament, and the privilege it is to know God's Word and carry that in our heart and to be able to share that with others. And here's their comment. They said that just as wine cannot keep well in silver or gold vessels, but only in the lowliest of vessels, earthen ones, so the words of the Torah do not keep well in one who considers himself to be the same as silver or gold vessels, but only in one who considers himself the same as the lowliest of vessels, earthen ones. Interesting, isn't it? God's word is carried best in those individuals who are humble before him and who understand our role. And it's not to call attention to ourselves, but it is to make much of Christ and much of God. Paul's life was an illustration of that. Paul's life illustrated what it is to be weak as a human and for God's power to be shown. And he uses terms that are taken actually from like a gladiatorial contest or a military engagement in these next two verses. And he describes some of the things that he went through. In verse 8 he said, for example, that we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. In Greek these words kind of have puns to them, a little twist that doesn't come quite across in English in the same way. But basically he's saying, you know, it's like we are boxed in, but never so much that we are not able to move. We are pressed, you know, we've got people coming at us, but it always seems like there is this way of escape that God has provided. He tells us that we are perplexed, but not in despair. We may be confused or bewildered about what God is doing or His methods or His means. Or, God, why did you choose that today? 
<laughs> Why did that happen to me? And yet we have hope. We have hope because of Christ and we trust that He is using all of these things for good in our life. We are persecuted, he says, and literally he's saying we are hunted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Or you could translate that, we are knocked down, but not knocked out. God's grace is sufficient for every situation that we are going through. And Paul would say that about his life over and over again. And he would say, you know, the fact that we are still alive is not due to our cunning. It's not due to our toughness or resolve. It is by the power and the grace of God that we are still here and still able to minister to you. Our weakness magnifies God's power. And secondly, our weakness reveals the life of Christ. And we see that in verses 10 and 11. When he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. He tells us that two things are constantly at work in us. The death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. In our suffering, we identify with the death of Jesus and his sufferings. We share struggles and Jesus in this life knew what that was like. He took upon himself human flesh. He understood what it was like to be tired or thirsty or weary. He understood the temptations that we face, yet he was without sin. And he told the disciples that the servant is not above his master. You know, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Or if I experience these things in life, you are going to experience some of these same kinds of things, the sufferings. There is a unity between Christ and his followers. So just as Jesus suffered, we too will suffer all kinds of trials. Yet in our suffering, we also share in the life of Jesus. I mean, his victory is our victory, and we can trust in him to work through us. And so we see God do these extraordinary things when we trust him. Paul understood that. In Philippians 3, 10 and 11, he actually longed for God to demonstrate his power in him. He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul pressed on toward the goal of heaven. He wanted to please Christ in everything that he did. But he wanted to know Christ more and more deeply, more intimately. And he knew that even in his sufferings, he would come to experience Christ in a deeper and more significant way. The sweetness of Jesus' presence. His power in our life. His grace that is sufficient for every need. And Paul would write about these three things. Death, resurrection, and glorification over and over again. You see, in our life, just as Paul did, we will experience all three of those things as a result of our union with Christ. We are united with Christ in his death. When we come to place our faith in Jesus, 
as our Savior and Lord, we are united with Him in His death, but also in His resurrection. But just as He died and rose again, so we will die and rise again. And one day in His very presence, we will be glorified. We will receive that new body that is being made by God just for us that is like the body of our Lord Jesus. New, immortal, indestructible, fit for heaven, free from all sin. We will experience all three of these things in our life too. In the 16th century, there was a man named William Tyndale. You've heard the name Tyndale and it's come to be associated with the English Bible. And William Tyndale had that desire in his life. He wanted to give everyone in England an opportunity to read the Bible for themselves. In those days, the Bible was not a common possession of everyone like it is today. Uh, you couldn't get a Bible if you were an average lay person. Uh, even all of the priests at that time or all of the clergy did not necessarily have a Bible. I can't imagine coming to the pulpit and trying to teach anything of significance without the Word of God. And William Tyndale was appalled sometimes, just grieved over the lack of teaching, lack of biblical knowledge and clarity in England. And he longed for that to change in his country. William Tyndale declared to one of the clergy who opposed him, he said, If God spare my life before many years pass, I would that a boy that drives the plow would know more of the Scriptures than you do. He longed to make the Bible a common possession of everyone. Tyndale was persecuted in England. He fled to Europe. He narrowly escaped with his life. He continued his work there on Bible translation. But he would suffer from shipwreck, loss of manuscripts, pursuit by secret agents, and eventually he was betrayed by a friend and handed over to the authorities in England. All of this because of his efforts to publish a Bible in the English language. He was not able to finish his work on the Old Testament, but the work that he had done had a tremendous impact upon England. He is rightly called the father of the English Bible, and some 90% of his words in his translation passed into the King James Version. 75% it went on to be in the Revised Standard Version. He was arrested, strangled, and his body was burned. He died as a martyr, and his last words were, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Lord, open his eyes. Death resurrection, glorification. What do you think it will be like for William Tyndale at the Bema, at the judgment seat of Christ? I would think he is one who will be greatly rewarded for a work well done that has had a significant influence not just upon England, but it changed the course of our world. Our weakness is an opportunity for God to display His power and to accomplish His purposes in our life and in the lives of others. And what we see 
is that our weakness is also used by God to bring life to others. In verses 12 to 15. Paul writes, So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We suffer, but it is for your gain. That same God who has raised Jesus from the dead is also going to raise you from the dead. And he wrote, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. It's a quote from Psalm 116, verse 10, that speaks of another suffering servant who experienced trials in their life, but had been delivered. And so they cried out to God, and they praised God for His deliverance, His power in their life. And he said, with that same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit. All this is for your benefit. Paul would labor on and he would suffer and he would be willing to lay down his life for the benefit of others that they might come to know Christ. It was that same passion that drove William Tyndale to risk his life to bring the Scriptures to people who had not had them before. What a tremendous privilege that is. It still happens today. You know, I think of Carrie, whom we have sent out to do a work, a Bible translation for a people that have never had the Scriptures in their language before. She needs our prayers. She needs our support. But I want to tell you today by, about another individual that we support as a church. I'm not going to share his name here, but there is a man who I know who has a ministry in Southeast Asia. And in many ways, his ministry, his life, is like an Apostle Paul. He travels from village to village preaching the gospel, teaching, training pastors, and speaking in churches. And in this past year, he had the opportunity to lead 1,185 people to Christ. I was excited that we as a church this year had had over 100 white roses. He had almost 1,200 individuals that he had the opportunity to lead to Christ. He trained 684 believers. He visited 22 villages all along the way delivering CDs and DVDs and training materials to people who do not have those resources. Many times he's just one step ahead of those who are trying to arrest him or hinder what he is doing. He's a remarkable man who speaks the languages and understands the needs of the people that he is going to. And it is a privilege for us to support him and pray for him. And when you share in this ministry, when you give to the church and you support the work that we are doing, that God has called us to, you are a part of his ministry too. It's a remarkable thing. A great privilege to share in this work that God is doing even in our own generation. When Paul looked at his ministry and all that God had done, he could not stop speaking about Christ. He could not, in spite of opposition or hardship or trials or difficulties, he was going to tell the world what God had done in sending his son Jesus to be our Savior. That's our privilege too. So how do you stop a guy like Paul? You can't. 
You just can't stop a guy like him. If people didn't respond to the gospel, he understood he was in a spiritual battle and he was just going to stay faithful and keep preaching the message. If he was persecuted, it was simply an opportunity to show God's power and to let him work through him. And if Paul were to die, he would say that to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was undaunted He refused to be discouraged. He kept going and going and going. And all of that at the very foundation was because he knew that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead would also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Fourthly, Our weakness brings glory to God. And we see that in verse 15. He said, All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. That grace that Paul knew was being shared with the world, and the result was that more and more people were coming to know Christ. And the way Paul felt about it, the more people who come to know Christ, the more glory that is brought to God the more people there will be who join in this great thanksgiving, not just on earth, but one day in the future, who will be gathered around His throne in heaven. It will mean more joy, more honor, more glory to our Lord and Savior. And it would mean great reward for His servants. What a joy. What a joy. Is there anything better or more lasting than this, than to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, to share in the mission that He has called us to, or to participate in the life and ministry of the church. Is there anything more lasting than that? You know, I was thinking how in this last month we've had some godly and dear members of our congregation who have passed away. And I thought about those times when I went to visit people. And in some of those situations, what life comes down to at the end of life, if you are like in a nursing home or a care facility, it comes down to a single room that's a little bit like a dorm room in college. And you have a small dresser, little closet, little drawer, and all your stuff that you had in life is kind of reduced down to those basic things. And even that you can't take with you when you die. What is going to last? It's God. It's His Word. It's people. It's the people that you have built your life into. That you have helped to come to know Christ or to know and grow in their relationship with Him. It's the things that you have done for Christ that are going to last. And how sweet it is to talk to individuals, godly saints who have come to that point in their life where that is their great joy. What they've done for Christ, those are the things that are going to last. You know, it's no wonder that Paul, when he comes to the end of this letter, will say to the Corinthians that I've learned something about weakness. I've learned that God is honored by our weaknesses. And we don't have to feel like we have everything together and we're strong and we can 
hold it all in there, you know, and do all of these things because it's not by our might or our power that we accomplish the work of the kingdom. It's by His might and His power. And so Paul would say in chapter 12, verse 9, he said, I will boast in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Yes, there are things about me that may not be attractive. I may not be as eloquent as other speakers. I may not be as gifted as other people that you think of and know. But that's okay. If God is pleased to use me, an ordinary clay pot for His glory, that's great. Because God will say to each one of us, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So what are you dealing with this Christmas? Are you going through a season where you have experienced grief or loss? Are there hardships or trials in your life? Is there illness or loneliness? We all have struggles. Things that cause us to be weary or weigh us down at times in our life. What does God say to us? My grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient. And His power is magnified in our weaknesses. You know, I've been making some notes in my own mind as I think about um, going through this book, this letter of 2 Corinthians, and what is it that I want to remember. And um, I didn't put these on the slide, but three things that I've been thinking about that keep coming back to me as I go through this book are these. God gives comfort in the midst of affliction so that he enables us to endure those trials. He gives life in the midst of death. People die in this life. But he gives us life through Jesus Christ so that death is not that last word. And he gives hope in the midst of despair. And so even for the Apostle Paul, when he could feel like he was at the end of his rope, he did not lose heart or lose hope because of Christ. And may those same promises be true for each of us as we hold on to them. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you. Thank you for the realism of Scripture that understands the life that we live and the trials that we go through. And certainly for us, we are not experiencing anything like the persecution and suffering that Paul felt. And yet we do know what weakness is. We do know what trials are. We know what hardship is. We know what grief is and loss. And we know what it is to be ill, to be sleepless, to feel those human needs in our life. And I thank you, God, that you have overcome all of that and that you are able to meet our needs and provide for us and give us a strength that is beyond ourselves, all because of Christ. Thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you for the comfort we receive. Thank you for the promise of eternal life in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us as we close today?
may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.